0: Romans chapter 11, we'll, let's read verses 5 through 10. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks? But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see, and bow down their back always. We we come to a a section that is consistent with the entirety of the book of Romans. In fact, consistent with the entirety of Scripture. And that is in reference to the grace of God. The title of this morning's sermon is, When Grace is No Longer Grace. And we see here that he he makes this reference to grace in verse 5, where he says, Even so, then at this present time there is a remnant, according to the election, of grace, as we've been studying the, this this section of, of scripture, what we saw was that here Paul is is saying, "Has God cast away His people Israel?" And his, his response is, certainly not, absolutely not. I'm I am an Israelite." Um, and he goes on from there to say, "God has always kept a remnant." He refers to to that time in First Kings where there's those that. That, that are that remnant it tells us that there's those specifically 7,000 people who, who, who did not fall, 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And, and, and God says specifically, I've reserved for myself 7,000. When Elijah's there and saying, I'm the only one that's left, God's saying, no, I reserved for myself 7,000. And then we, we come as we transition into the last part of, of this section. In, in verse 5, he says, even so then, even so, in light of what we've been looking at, at the, this present time, there is a remnant. There is a remnant, Even even, even so then, Paul is saying, at this time, when when the people are looking at it and saying, okay, there's so many Christians, but most of them are Gentiles, and there's there's what happened to to, to Israel? What, what happened to those in whom these promises were given? Where, why is it that so many of them are not believing? And Paul's saying, I'm an Israelite, I believe, but but even so, right now there are. Many, many Jews who are coming to faith. Even so now, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Even so, just as there was Jacob, as we looked at in Romans chapter 9, or Isaac. Just as we saw that there was this remnant that was there. Likewise, he's saying right now there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And then in verse 6, he says, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. We see here that as he brings up this next verse, he's saying if, if, we're, if we're saved by grace, then works must be annihilated, or it would no longer be grace. This is, a, this is a powerful verse for us. There is a tendency for us as people, we, we see it ac- across the church today, um, as far as the church throughout the world, where you, you will see that there's a constant battle with the idea of whether or not we are saved by grace alone, Or whether it is that we are saved by grace plus works. And that there are passages that are so clear to teach us that it's not based upon works. Um, There's a tendency in our own lives to be works minded, to look into, to think of our salvation and, and, have your mind go to a place of, of of am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? I look at my life and there's I know God died for me, but I have to I got to do my part too. Am I am I doing enough? And I pray that the passage for this morning would would speak to your heart if you fall your find yourself falling into that mindset to, to be just an incredible blessing to you this morning. He says, if, we're, if there's this election of grace, and if it's by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But the, the point here is that you, you cannot have it be where you're saved by grace and then also you got to do your works as well he's saying that they're they're mutually exclusive one annihilates the other if if you're saved by by grace plus works grace is destroyed at that point if you're saved by by works then grace is totally completely destroyed one annihilates other. There can only be one or the other. And this passage to me is amazing because you look at it and he says, if, if this election comes by grace, then it's no longer of works. There, there is something that frees us when we see this. Not, not only does it free us, but it ought to just kindle within our hearts this incredible passion to worship him. The grace of God. The grace of God is is a subject in which we have seen it all throughout this particular book, but more so all throughout Scripture. Grace of God is is a subject in which I pray that all of us would love. I, I remember a professor of mine who said that he he was in a in a more liberal denomination, and and he would say like. People refer to me all the time as, well, you're a, you're a grace man. You're, you're just, you're, I mean, if we had to categorize you, you're, you're just, you're, you're all about grace. You're a grace man. And I remember him just talking about it, just saying like, that, that is like the greatest compliment. They, they say it as, as if I'm just so narrow and I'm, I'm not about works at all. And he said, but it is the greatest compliment that they could ever give me just to say, you're a a grace man. Because that really is the only hope for us in this life. If it's by grace, then it is no longer of works. We we see this from the very beginning in, in, in Scripture, as far as the grace of God. That phrase is, is used, and we find it in different passages. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight a few of them for us this morning so you can see the heart of it. Um, because I pray that that what would be convincing to you this morning is that is that if we are saved by grace, then it is no longer of works. It's not of works at all. And we'll look at that. In Genesis chapter 6, I'll just read this passage to you. But in Genesis chapter six, it's in the time of Noah. And verse five it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So he looks at he looks at the entire world and he says, The wickedness of man is great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Radical description of mankind. We live in a time where it it is the opposite that is being told to us all the time. As far as man's basically good. Um, To the core, you're good. The only reason why you do these things that are bad is because of, of your environment or... Because someone did something else to you in your life, and as a result, you know, you, you go back and you see that that's what caused it, but basically, you're good. And, and God just gives a description of man. No. God looks, sees the wickedness of man's great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then in verse 8 of chapter 6 of Genesis, you see this incredible verse where it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, it, surely Noah would have been included as far as those who were sinful, those who were evil. But then you look, and it's just the, one of the first times that that word is used in Scripture where it just refers to Noah, and it says, And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't that he did something to earn it, it wasn't his works. That made it so he deserved grace. It's just the statement. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You go through and you find the same thing with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But with Abraham, we see that he was totally undeserving. We study this in Romans chapter 4. If you want to just turn back a few pages to Romans 4 in verse 1. In Romans 4, 1, it says... What then shall we say that Abraham, our father was what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, was found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So you think of Abraham, Father Abraham. and You look and when it describes him, it just says he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Um, if, If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. If he was justified by what he did... By his works, then he has something to boast about. But the response is, he has nothing to boast about. To him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. It's another way of saying what we've been looking at this morning. Saying, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. As soon as works are involved, as far as have you done enough to earn God's favor, it cancels out grace to where now all of a sudden it's a debt debt Isaac did nothing to deserve God's favor Jacob was a schemer and yet he found grace in the eyes of the Lord turn with me for a brief moment to, to Exodus chapter 33 let's look at Moses And there's Bibles under the pews if, if you didn't bring your Bible this morning. Exodus chapter 33. Moses says to the Lord, see. I'm sorry, in verse 12. Exodus 33, 12. Moses, then Moses says to the Lord, see, you, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way. That I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. Here's Moses and he's just saying, I just... I want to know for sure that, that I have found grace in your sight. More than anything, I just I want to know that I'm in grace. I want to know that, I've, that you've found favor, that there is grace that's being poured upon me. You've asked me to do something, but I need to know, I need to know that I'm in a place where I'm just covered by grace. That idea of the grace of God. Look at at verse 17. So the Lord says to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, Moses says, Please, please show me your glory. And then God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. We studied that in Romans chapter nine, if you remember that. But here, here Moses is saying, I just want to know that I'm in a place of grace in your sight. And God says, you, you, you have found grace in my sight. Then he goes from there to say, I will be gracious to whomever I'll be gracious. I'll have compassion on whomever I'll have compassion. The reason that I bring this up is because when we start thinking about the grace of God, we need to be able to to, to look at this and see that it's not based on their works. Not at all. Historically, I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, what you're going to find is that the grace that God pours out upon his people, when they find grace in his sight... It's not based upon have they done enough? Have they met him halfway? It's based on God saying I'll be gracious to whomever I'll be gracious. I'll have compassion on whomever I'll have have compassion. It's always undeserved. Grace is a sovereign grace. It's always undeserved always given freely to those who did not do anything to merit it, but who rather deserved wrath and condemnation. It's always like that. If we're going to define grace, it's a sovereign grace that's always undeserved, given freely to those who did not do anything to merit it, but who rather deserved wrath and condemnation. That is the best definition I could give you of grace. It's God showing grace sovereignly, in an unmerited fashion to you who deserve condemnation, to me who deserved condemnation. Look at Exodus 34, beginning in, in verse 5. It says here in Exodus 34, verse 5, Now the Lord descended, to, descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, Merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste, and he bowed his head towards the earth, and he worshiped. And then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord. Let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people. He's here, and, and, and he's, God comes to him saying, This is who I am, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and what? Gracious. Merciful and gracious. So Moses translates this. He hears God describing himself, and he says, Okay. If I have found grace in your sight, because all He cares about is I. I just I want to know that I have found grace in your sight, and if I have found grace in your sight, O oh Lord, I pray go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people. He's not saying I. I, I want to find grace in your sight, so. What do I need to do to earn that? It's not that at all. He said, I just I want to know that I found grace in your sight, even though we're a stiff-necked people, even though we are sinners. All, all I need to know is that I have found grace in your sight. And you see this throughout not only do you find this with Noah or or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. Or Moses, But you see it towards the entire nation of Israel where they find grace in the sight of the Lord, not because of what they have done, but because God says, I'll be gracious to whomever I'll be gracious. It's unmerited. It's grace that's given to us, not based upon works. Because if it was based upon works, it would cancel out grace. But it's solely and completely an act of God. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9. In verse four, so God's destroying the enemies of His people. Deuteronomy chapter nine, verse four. Um, here, Deuteronomy nine four it says, "Do not think in your heart." After the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that they may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God has not given you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Here he's referring to the whole nation, and just looking at it saying like, not don't, don't think in your heart that it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. Don't do it. Don't ever look at yourself and say, it's it's because of me. It's because of what I've done. He says, don't, don't think in your heart it's because of me. It's because of what I've done. It's because of my righteousness. It's because of my ability to offer something to God. Don't think that it's merited. Don't think that when I come in and I do this, do not say in your heart it's because of my righteousness. He says, no, it is because I made promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. It's because of the wickedness of these people that I'm doing it. But it is not because of your righteousness. Don't ever think that it's because of you, because you're a stiff-necked people. And you look at this, and you just see it consistent, where God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do this for you. But don't ever say, don't ever think in your heart, it's because of me. It's because Of what I've done. It's because I met him halfway. I did my part. He did his part. Don't ever look at the cross and say. God did his part. But now. What works can I muster up. To make it so I earn my salvation. Because as soon as your mindset. Goes to the works. It cancels out grace. I think that if we can understand this. We will. We will say that word in a different way. With It will be saturated with just biblical thinking when you look at grace. We'll sing at the close of the service, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found was blind but now I see. And when you sing that. You're not going to be singing that. With the mentality of. Okay well I did my part. In meeting him. Halfway. You'll sing that as far as. I was lost. I was blind. I was. A wretch. And his. His. Sovereign grace came upon me and it was not earned. It was not merited. It was not based on how good this week was or, or whether I've done enough. It is solely the grace of God that has come upon me fully and completely. And, and I'll cast away any thought that looks at me God must have needed me. I, I, I have a lot to offer. It, it will bring us to a place of, of singing songs like that. And when we say amazing grace, we'll just fill our, our heart with just incredible affections towards God. It grace that taught my heart to fear. It was your grace that taught my heart to fear. It was your grace that did that. grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. We look and we see that it's all, it is all of grace. They being a stiff-necked people were first their moral wickedness, their perversity, the hardness of heart. And God nevertheless says, I'll save you, but do not say in your heart, it was because of my righteousness. Look, and we see that God calls Aaron and his sons to give a blessing upon the people. Not because they deserve it, but because God freely gives his grace to us. He's a God who graciously makes covenants and graciously keeps covenants to an undeserving people. We have a wedding coming up this next weekend. And at the end of the wedding, like I always do, there will be the blessing that comes upon the couple. It's the last thing that I say before they kiss the bride. And it comes from Numbers chapter 6 where it says... The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you or show you his favor and give you peace. So the Lord bless you. God says, say this. I want you to say this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord do this. The Lord do this. The Lord give this blessing upon our congregation. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, the joy that comes. The Lord do this and lift up his countenance upon you. May the Lord show you favor. May the Lord do this, not because we deserve it, but because it's all of his grace. David was not saved by his works. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 6, you may still be there. In Romans 4, 6, it's, oh no, you're not because you moved, but let me read it for you. Just as, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness, Apart from works. It's coming from Romans 4, 6, if you want to turn there. David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness. And then it uses that phrase, apart from works. God puts righteousness upon us and it is apart from works. Why is it apart from works? Because it's because of grace that he imputes righteousness to you. And if it was works that made it so David had righteousness placed upon him, then it would no longer be grace. And so he's very specific here to say blessed, describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin, the grace of God. And then you go right into the New Testament and that phrase, grace is used over and over and over and over. Hundreds of times the word grace is used. In Acts chapter 11, in verse 21, it's referring to this great number of people who believed and turned to the Lord. This great number of people in Acts chapter 11 that are coming to Christ. It says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And then the news of this came to the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, when it refers to these people getting saved, all of these people who, who turned to the Lord, Barnabas is going and, and the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to say, Barnabas came as far as Antioch, and when he came, he had seen the grace of God. Referring to these people became believers. How did they become believers? Barnabas came and he saw it, and what did he see? He saw the grace of God. He just saw the grace of God. It wasn't, he saw people who were really trying hard. He just simply went and he saw the grace of God. In Acts 18, it's referring to, in verse 27, it refers to those who had believed through grace. The, the words used over and over again in reference to how did they believe? They believed through grace. It wasn't based on works. It wasn't based on what they did because if it was, it would no longer be grace. But they believed through grace. Frequently, the gospel is referred to as the grace of God. It just is used as the same. They, in, in, in Acts 20, for example, Paul it's, it's saying, "None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish the race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It's using, you'll find it over and over again. when it's referring to the gospel, it's just referring to the grace of God. It's it's amazing when you look at it because you, you, you see it where Paul is emphasizing so much in our passage before us this morning that it's grace that causes us to be saved. It's grace. It's not works. If it was works, then grace would be canceled out. It's all grace. And then you go through and you look and it's just grace, 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 covered with grace, the gospel of grace. It's all of grace. The grace of God is foundational to every aspect of our salvation. Why did God the Father send his only son? Grace. It was grace. It wasn't because he looked on us and saw us and we just... We were really trying hard. Why did he send his son? Grace. Why did Christ fulfill all righteousness for us? Grace. Grace. Why did Christ die in our place? Grace. How can we know with certainty that we'll be preserved in heaven for all eternity? Grace. You're never going to look and have assurance of salvation and and, and be in a place of, of, man, I, I, I know that I'll be able to spend all eternity with him because I can keep this thing. I'm able to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people just, I, when I start something, I finish it. <laughs> It'll never work. When you start thinking about how is it that I'm cons- going to be preserved to the very end, we have to come to a place of the only way that that could ever happen is grace. Prone to wander Lord, I know it, prone to leave the God I love. We're prone to wander. We need grace. The sweetness of the grace of God. We read in Scripture where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Or we've been predestined to adoption to the praise of His glorious grace. We've been redeemed, purchased, we've received forgiveness of sins according to the riches of what, scripture says, according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound towards us. Redeemed, purchased, forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace that he has made to abound towards us. For all the coming ages, we're told that he'll show the exceeding riches of his grace. We're told, you're not under the law, but under grace. We're told, you're justified freely by what? His grace. In 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, he saved us, he's called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Verses like that should just excite us in the most incredible way because it's not, okay, God's going to look and see, do you, did you do enough to earn grace? Because you look and God just says, no, he, he saved us. He called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Because if it was according to our works, it would cancel out grace, as we see here in Romans chapter 11. It's not according to our works, but grace. And he says it's according to his own purpose, sovereign grace. His own purpose and grace in which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before time began, when you think of the unending grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, or the riches of the grace of God, and God's grace being poured upon them, when Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, or Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob, or Moses, or David, or all of the Israelites, the stiff-necked people, when they found grace in the eyes of the Lord, it was given to them and to us in Christ Jesus before Before time began. We're told God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. We're told we have different gifts according to the grace that's given to us. Even the way that we function as a church, you you function as a church because we're told you have different gifts that that have been given to you according to to the grace that's given to you. God's grace. God graciously has bestowed gifts upon each member of our church. It's all of grace. I mean from before time began. To God preserving you as stiff necked people. To God bringing you to salvation as you heard the gospel. And through hearing you believed. Holy Spirit Generating your heart, saving you, causing you to be a new creation in Christ, it's all it's all grace. And if by grace that it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. Title of this morning's sermon When Grace Is No Longer Grace. Grace is no longer grace as soon as you add one work to it. It ceases to be grace as soon as you add one work to it. As soon as you think, I did it. And so, if you sit here this morning and you say, I'm saved. Because I've done this or that or the other. You've cancelled out grace. I was reading in a commentary by Hokema. He says it's possible to be faithful in works, but never come to repentance. It was possible for the Jews to perform all their duties. Or all their religious duties, and they were duties without being broken hearted over sin. Still more, it was possible in that way of living to keep the whole law and in, in the external sense while ignoring the weightier things of the law, namely mercy, truth, and justice. And then he says this is still possible. It's possible to be faithful in church attendance in giving to the poor and in all kinds of good works and to be an abomination in the sight of God. We are an abomination as soon as we live and act on the imagination of these external works. Have anything, think that they have anything to do with our righteousness before God. If we do seek righteousness in this way, it will be said of us as it was said of Israel, you seek for which you do not find. As soon as we start thinking, I've done it. I, I've attended church. I got baptized. I partake in communion. I do all the things that I'm supposed to do. But in reality, we think that it is that it is those things that save us rather than taking all of those things as well as every other righteous thing that we could ever do and laying it before the foot of the cross and having it be there and just stepping back and saying, it is not anything that I've done, but only what he has done that saves me. It's critical that we look at this and we see it's all of grace. As soon as you start adding works, it cancels out the grace. So, you think of the Reformation, Protestant Reformation. So, you think of the heart of evangelicalism, which we would cling to and believe. We, We believe Scripture alone is our authority. All that we need to know is found in Scripture. We believe that we're saved by grace alone. It's critical, the five solaces, Scripture alone, by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Those five things Christians have held to for centuries and centuries and centuries, saying we must hold to this to be truly Christian. Saying, it's not based on our works. It's grace alone. By faith alone. In Christ alone. To the glory of God alone. And people died for that. They honestly, they died for that. Saying, critical. It's critical that we don't compromise in this to look and say, well, you believe that you need to do these things to be saved. Therefore, you know, that's okay, but we're going to be on this other side. And he's saying it is just, it is critical as far as what it is to be an evangelical Christian, what it is to be a Christian, to be able to look at this and say, no, I believe that it is solely and completely by grace alone that we're saved. Because if it's not grace alone, then grace is canceled out. For saved by grace, works must be annihilated. It doesn't mean that there's not works in our life as a result of being a Christian. But the idea that comes into your mind that it is those works that save you, it must be annihilated. We are saved by grace. And as a result, you and I, we we will stand and we will sing praises to God of his amazing grace. You and I will stand and we will have a heart that just loves him because he has saved us. His grace has been poured upon us and it wasn't deserved we'll go out and we'll proclaim the gospel and we'll desire to bless one another as a church and we'll desire to bless the poor and we'll desire to have fruit come out of our lives but it will not be those things that save us it will solely and completely be grace that comes by faith that comes in christ and to his glory alone we find this to be reiterated all through Scripture. Lastly, I'll close with this. In Galatians 2.21, Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. I do not set aside the grace of God. If righteousness comes through the law from works, then Christ died in vain. It cancels it out. So when we emphasize here at our church through the preaching of God's word and go through and look at it, that you are saved by grace alone, it's because of passages like we found here in Romans chapter 11 that we emphasize that. It is by grace alone. Otherwise, it's no longer grace. It is by grace alone or else Christ died in vain. It's critical to our understanding of the gospel. And so what does this mean for us? It means that if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, your salvation is not based upon whether you have done enough. You're not in a performance treadmill of just trying to do enough. Can I earn my way to heaven? It's solely in the work of Christ Jesus on the cross and through faith in him, looking at him and saying, you took all my sins upon yourself. You paid the price for every sin I've ever committed or ever will commit. And through faith in you, believing in you, I'm saved. Your righteousness comes upon me. And it's not based on my works. It's only by grace. It's only because you, a sovereign God, have looked upon me. And I have found grace in your sight. And your Holy Spirit drew me. And I believed in you. And you've changed me radically. I sat there in church on the last Sunday of August 2013, and it was on that day in which your Holy Spirit so sweetly came upon me and said, stop running and just take everything you've done and put it at the foot of the cross and just hope totally and completely and solely in me for your salvation, and you will find that grace is sufficient for you. It's all we need for salvation, and for us who are believers this morning, It is that in which we rest, and it is that in which we hope, and it is that in which stirs affections into our hearts that makes us adore him. We adore him. Not because we've done anything to deserve him, but because his grace has just been abundantly poured upon us. It abounds towards us. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love grace. We love it. It's totally undeserved. And yet, as believers here this morning, we have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I pray that this doctrine would be precious to us here this morning. Precious to us. I I pray that when our minds go to, did I do this or have I done enough, have I done enough, that this verse would come into our our minds that that grace would cease to be grace if works are added May we only hope in grace, a salvation that comes freely through faith and the work of Christ upon the cross. And may we find ourselves overwhelmed with joy and adoration towards our Savior. And Lord Jesus, I pray that today might be the day of salvation to someone here in our church this morning who takes all of the things that they've ever done and just puts them at the foot of the cross and hopes solely and entirely in you, Lord, and in your grace. May we worship you now as a result of that. It may come from hearts that are overwhelmed with the gift in which we've received. We pray this in Jesus' name.